Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. Coming up on today's program from Seyfeld here in Zurich, my guests Alexander Titsu and Chandra Kurt. She's back. They'll share their views on the week's biggest stories. Alexander, you've been looking at the papers. Uh, what do you have for us this morning? Yes, there are a lot of interesting stories today. Um, one of them, and the big one that's making headlines, India has uh, said that it's going to withhold its wheat exports, which uh, has big implications for food security. We have Finland and Sweden and the NATO story, potentially they're being blocked by Turkey, um, and a flurry of diplomatic phone calls from Macron um, to, to Putin and also Schultz. So lots to talk about. Excellent. We'll be heading up to Helsinki on that as well. Also, our head of radio, Tom Edwards, will bring us the view from London, and we'll be heading to Hong Kong to speak to our bureau chief there to find out what's happening, of course, on that side of the world. And finally, we cross to Torino to talk about Eurovision, of course, song contest that was happening last night. Greetings from Torino, Tyler. I look forward to speak with you about Eurovision, of course, and the great Ukrainian win for Kalush Orchestra's Stefania, which I think it's a great song. But let's talk about some of our favorites as well. Our Fernando Augusto Pacheco. It sounds like he just got in. It's the 15th of May, 2022, live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brule. And good morning from a very sunny, uh, I would almost say summery uh, Zurich. Very good to have you uh, with us on this uh, Sunday morning. Very happy to say as well uh, that we have uh, a new voice, a new face uh, around the table. Also very happy that Chandra Kurt is back uh, as well. But I'll, I'll welcome you first, uh, Alexander Tirtziu. Uh Maybe just uh, give us a, a brief CV uh, because, uh, of course, you're a new voice for our Sunday morning listeners. Great. Happy to be here. Thanks. Welcome. On a beautiful Sunday morning. So uh, the weather, the weather is welcoming too. Um, so I'm a senior fellow with the Atlantic Council in, in Washington, D.C. Um, I've been in the geopolitical risk political analysis world for well over a decade. So um, I work with clients on um, advising on what's going on in the world and, and how to manage it. So I'm plugged in with the Atlantic Council. I'm a contributing editor for the New York Sun um, and then lecture here in international relations at the University of Zurich. So a little bit of everything. Happy to be here. Thank you very much. Uh, and of course, uh, Given the patch that you're covering, there's a lot uh, that we have to get through uh, this morning. Chandra, welcome. Where have you been? Well, well, I've been all over. I exaggerated a little bit. I did my tour to Europe a little bit different. I went a lot to Bordeaux, to, to Burgundy. I was in, in um, Paris, in London, in Milano, I, in Copenhagen. We have a beautiful project now happening in Copenhagen. So I did my European tour. Not yet long-haul flights, still in Europe. Okay, well, just, of course, and listeners, I think most people tuning into this program know who Chandra is. But if not, of course, one of our, uh, well, our wine contributor, uh, of course, uh, across all things we do, uh, and not just on the pages, because uh, we have some wine testing to do as well, I believe, you because there's going to be a rosé coming yes. up again, another monocle rosé. Exactly. I just prepared uh, some some Oi de Perdri, some, some nice, fresh and crisp rosé that you can taste later. Or even during the program, if if, well, if, if we want, with some well, planning, right? You don't know what happens after. So. Well, we'll do it towards the end of, towards the, end of the program. Uh, but maybe just on your tour uh, right now, because we know that obviously last year, uh, you know, we had rather um, rather horrendous weather in many corners of Europe, and we heard, of course, what that did for production. What, what was the feeling when you were talking uh, to to various vineyard owners? Well, the, well, there, there, there are like two parts. One part, everybody's happy that we come to visit them again and they show what they did. But of course, the the quantity is down. There is not the 21 vintage. There was hailstorms. There was um, frost. There was bad weather. So so the quantities are down, and you are happy to get some of the bottles. Which is which is good. And did you, were you you were 
Dri- driving? Because I was uh, running my No, tr- I was flying, of course. I did even short distances to fly because I needed to fly. I needed to, to get the my flying feeling. Okay, no, I, w- I was just wondering sort of, you know, how much was loaded or whether there was a whole trailer behind your uh, your, your your little vehicle. But no, it all, it all gets shipped here. So It gets DHL, they, they function. That's good. Uh, also, I'm very happy to bring in uh, our Tom Edwards uh, as well in, in London. Uh, Tom, uh, what's the what's the view from over there this morning? I mean, of course, we know that you didn't watch, you, it sounds like you didn't watch Eurovision, uh, but, but that aside, Tom, uh, what's if we were looking at the front pages in the UK this morning, uh, what's news? Uh, well, Tyler, you can hear. It. I mean, most of the papers dominated by. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough one to get into this early on a Sunday morning here in London. Uh, but inflation rates and management or mismanagement should that be by, uh, you know, by by the big uh, by the big um, uh, by the Bank of England and others. There's a suggestion here that ministers in government in London are turning on the bank and they say they've not got things right, they're facing a big test and they've uh, failed to manage, which seems to me somewhat political and slightly unfair perhaps. Um, but that's a story which features across the uh, newspapers today. Um, uh, FT Weekend, which I was reading, um, it's still dominated by Elon Musk and Twitter and this spam bot numbers. Um, you ever been Tom, t- do you have a view on that? I mean, and p- partly, well, are, are you surprised that, uh, of course, there's been this pause moment, uh, but isn't it is it is it really that surprising that there, nothing, are, that there are bot bot numbers uh, no, in nothing. and around Twitter? Come on, I'm never I'm never uh, su- surprised by uh, an unwanted bot, uh, Tyler, as I'm sure you're aware. But no, th- this is a story about which uh, nothing surprises me anymore. Um, but I must say, I'm more intrigued uh, to get the latest from you. I was reading. I'm sure our listeners will also be our readers of our digital offerings. You're just back from from Tokyo, your first trip there in such a long time. You love the city. Um, It's a city I love also. And I wanted to, I don't know, I wanted to just, how did it it treat you? I know you're planning to head back just in a few (laughs) short weeks. Well, yeah, if, 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 all, if all goes uh, to plan. No, it was, it was a fantastic um, week. It was great to, of course, be back in our bureau in Tokyo after, well, almost, uh, well, 26, 27 months uh, to see our colleagues there, our collaborators. And, it's, and it's, of course, it's a very interesting time right now because on one side, and as I was just at the comment I was making in, in the column, it's, it's interesting in Japan, Tom, because, you know, they didn't have the severe lockdowns uh, mm. that, that we witnessed on other sides of the world. But, of course, you know, Japan, you know, being... A very homogenous society, very conformist society. It is still, you know, incredibly, um, yeah, it's, it, it, there's many parts of it that sort of feels like, you know, sort of Corona, COVID, you know, 1.0, um, a lot of plexiglass, uh, a lot of masks, even though there is no mask requirement, no one is going to give you a fine uh, for wearing a mask. Um, but that is, um, I'm going to give that child a fine though who's crying in the background, <laughs> if you can hear them right now. It sounds, sounds like one of mine, Tyler. I don't know what they're I doing. I was going to say, did you get let them loose and like... Uh, <laughs> Put them on the track, the, the tram uh, between Zurich and London, or London and Zurich. Um, but no, I think that was that was one uh, w- one thing which I, I feel there's not going to there's there's no sort of opening up moment, and so I think you could have mm. sort of Japan sort of sort of yeah just shuffling along a little bit. Um, when I think there's a huge opportunity, there's, a, there's enormous economic opportunity. I think also a geopolitical opportunity for Japan to to step up at the moment. So that was one of the um, I would say one of the sort of the surprising things. But also, it's a bit of a call to action moment um, it, as well. And I think you know a lot of Japanese. They've you know they've not been out in the world. They've not been traveling. So, you know, of course, we're talking to a lot of partners and clients, and people want to hear. You know, what is going on in Germany? You know, what has the approach been in the UK, um, etc.
Well, it's fascinating, Tyler. And I, I've actually had a couple, unusually for me, I've had a couple of nights out uh, this week where I've gone to some new openings. I mean, there are new openings on a, a daily basis, it seems, here in London. And everywhere you go, it's not just that it's busy. It's not just that, you know, there's covers after covers and all the tables are timed because there's such demand. There's a mood in the air. And I think it's really interesting what you say about the need to have that moment of re-emergence of opening back up. There is huge financial opportunity and the public are ready to buy in. We've seen that here. This summer feels very different now, even from the, the last couple of summers where you know, COVID kind of went away and there was an opening back up. This one's different. There's an engagement. There's a real sense. The nights feel like they did sort of back in the day. I went to uh, a new, um, the Arcade Food Hall, Tyler, which is right in the heart of London. It's under Centrepoint, where there was a <laughs> there was a club I used to go to. You probably did as well in the sort of 1990s. Don't drag me into in this, please. But it was amazing. You know, incredible food offering, um, an absolutely superb Southern Thai restaurant, which I might uh, write a note or two about uh, for Monocle in the, in the days ahead. But there was a palpable sense, Tyler, of collective enjoyment. And boy, how have our cities needed that? Yeah, and this is, I think, probably the, the one element, Tom, where you would um, be would probably a little bit sort of dis- you know, yeah, maybe disappointed or or certainly sort of wanting because you know one of the great things about Tokyo is it is around the clock city. I think it's one of the, the mm. few proper twenty four hour cities in the world, but it, it really it gets quite quiet at nine o'clock. Now I will add, um, it, you know, if you want to if you want to find it, um, there are certainly places to go and sing. Tom, um, <laughs> we managed to track one or two down. Um, so was, it, so that, was it only one or two, Tyler? I've heard it might it be would, quite a few more. No, <laughs> no, no. It was only it was only it was only two <laughs> evenings, um, but. It I have to, I, I will also disclose it was a straight to plane moment uh, yes, yesterday. Wow. So you know, there, there is that component, but this is the interesting thing. You also talk to the, to the club owners and the bar owners, et cetera. You know, they were all open throughout, or at least many of them were open throughout the pandemic um, as well. It's just much more subdued. So mm. there is that sort of need to um, sort of to get to get the snap back in, in things, but I'm, I'm sure it will come along. And of course, as I said to, in today's column as well, there is the beauty of the silence of the place too. So uh, the flip side is get in there while you can, because um, you, you really need a vi- business visa, of course, to, to to get to Japan. Yeah, I could I could use I don't know what is it about three hours on the Shinkansen to head down to Kyoto. I could use that pr- yeah, pretty, pretty think, much most mornings, Tyler. To be honest. And, and here's the exciting thing: I've got a, Chandra. You would have liked this because on the flight back yesterday, so heading to Tokyo from Zurich, um, it was of course you know skirting down you know below the Black Sea and then you know, crossing the stands and up through China to get to, of course, Tokyo. But coming back yesterday, it was just it was really interesting. And Tom, I think you know you're a gentleman who likes maps as well and and i'm sure alexander you like a map or two given your space so you know you you head out of tokyo and of course you know, you're, you're used to of course then flying westbound uh and heading back to europe but it's interesting then the plane just sort of you know was going north and then you start to just skirt the kamchatka peninsula and then next you know next stop is nome alaska um so we, we passed just 40 kilometers uh just below the pole yesterday and then down across greenland norway and then and then back to zurich Oh, I envy you. And it was, and it was interesting because also, Tom, you know, the crew was incredibly excited on board as well because a lot of them have never done a transpolar flight uh, like that. Of course, what should have been an 11-hour flight is is now a 14-hour a flight um, also, as well. I think there are the right wines on board. If they're the, if they're the right wines on board and, and if you have a late night... Uh, 
By the way, Chandra, a very, very nice sparkling that I had from Yamanashi. So the Japanese are are moving at speed uh, into the world of sparklings uh, and absolutely fantastic. Yeah, let, let's maybe plan a second tasting. We, 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 we can do that. Um, maybe let's uh, let's stay um, in in this uh, in this part of the world, or certainly on a geopolitical beat. Um, Alexander, where do you um, where do you want to start? Because you you gave us a, a host of names at, at the start. We can talk Schultz. We can talk Erdogan, Macron. Uh, where do where do you uh, want? to a head let's, first. Let's, let's stick with Asia. Let's start with India, um, because I think it's an important story that will probably reverberate a lot more, uh, much more widely. So India, which is the second largest um, exporter and produ- producer of, of wheat, um, this week announced that it's going to basically halt all exports, which, of course, in the context of Ukraine and Russia, starts to be incredibly significant. So the government has said that it will still sort of export wheat on a government-to-government basis to countries that really need it for food security purposes. But otherwise, it's it's pulling back, um, and it started to raise, of course, a lot of a lot of eyebrows, and it started to cause a bit of panic, um, particularly in parts of the world um, like Africa, like parts of the Middle East that are net importers of of, of wheat. So Egypt, for instance, the Egyptian government. Um, is now looking kind of frantically to to substitute um, potential uh, uh, to substitute um, the the volumes that it normally receives from from India. Looking now to Pakistan, which also kind of starts to to you know poke poke the bear a little bit there in in, the, in terms of relations between India and Pakistan. Um, so I think that that's an important and, and a really significant dynamic that's starting to unfold. Um, also last month you had Indonesia that pulled back on its palm oil um, exports as well. So we're really just starting to see the pressure come from so many different um, angles and reverberate in, in many different in many different ways. Um, so it, that's that's one that I think will be um, circling back to quite a bit. And just on that, it was um, the discussion, uh, you know, certainly we were meeting with various ministries when we were in Tokyo, um, of course, is the upcoming Quad Summit. Uh, so with Australia, uh, India, of course, the U.S. And, and Japan. Here's just a little, just a, a quick quiz. Now, this is not a, this is not a state visit coming up where the President Biden will be heading uh, to Tokyo um, week after next. Uh, but Tom, you have to join in on this quiz as, as well. Um, how, so how many? Just, just this is, of course, you know, it's a very important summit. But how many people will the president be traveling with when he goes to Tokyo? Just, just this is, yeah, full. You know, we're not talking about local staff. This, this is the people who will be flying in from D.C. elsewhere to to support this trip. I mean, it's got to be it's got to be a, a whole plane load, Tyler. Surely, no. Well, but give, give me a number, Tom. You want a I mean, that, number? you know, it could be a small plane, big plane. I'm going to say minimum three figures. Okay, so yeah, more specific, please. This uh, is okay. 112. 112. Chandra, how many? How many do you think? Um, <clears throat> I would also say a big plane, so maybe 220. Okay. Alexandra? I'll, I'll take half a plane. So so let's call it 60-something. <laughs> okay. 1,000. Wow. Whoa. One, so that's 1,000. That's that's security. That is, uh, of course, all you know, various people who are going to be in, in bilaterals, etc. So, so this, you know, when we're talking about it, and I should say, actually, of course, we don't have a lot of, there are not a lot of foreign guests in hotels in Tokyo. So this will be a good a good spike um, for, for hotel uh, occupancy rates uh, when there. But just on that, Alexander, this was, um, of course, a huge talking point. Of course, you know, the, a lot of people sort of scratching their heads about, I mean, of course, everyone understands why India is in the quad. Um, but at the same time, uh, maybe a little bit, uh, well, of course, it's, it's maybe a little bit um, 
West on one side, people sort of see it as a little bit of the, the odd man um, out in that relationship, but at the same time, of course, very necessary in terms of the foil role that it plays uh, against against China as as well. How significant is uh, is this Quad Summit at this time? You know, I think it has the potential to be incredibly significant. Also, you know, in your remarks, speaking to Japan, you alluded to the geopolitical moment that potentially presents itself for for Japan. Um, and actually, just last week, the EU held also its its summit with with the Japanese, which of course ruffled feather, feathers in uh, in Beijing. And there have been some some scathing, uh, some tongue in cheek remarks that came from from the CCP too. Um, but I think it's incredibly important. Uh, also, you know, the, given also. So Beijing's posturing regarding Taiwan at the moment, um, the the recent agreement that China signed with the Solomon Islands, which of course has um, you know raised security concerns even more so in Australia. Um, so I think it's, there's really a, a good opportunity for leaders to to come together and kind of take a stand. And also in the context of the war in Ukraine, it's been interesting to see there have been pressures from kind of unlikely actors on China to take a stand to perhaps help negotiate a ceasefire, et cetera, et cetera. So when you combine, you know, the likes of India, Australia, Japan and others, but there might be potential to to impact not just security in the in the Asia Pacific, but perhaps reverberate here in Europe as well. So um, if they play their cards right, those those thousand plus folks um, could have an impact. Absolutely. Uh, and it's interesting because you talked about the EU visit. Of course, also, we had um, the, the Finnish prime minister uh, also uh, in Tokyo this week and we'll be talking uh, to our correspondent Petri Burstov um, up in Helsinki uh, just after the news at the bottom of the hour about that um, slight change of tack because we haven't we had one little quiz but there's also um, we have an advisory component uh, to this program as well Chandra's not been around Chandra sun is out it really feels like summer is here <laughs> hopefully we're going to get we're going to get paid back uh, from where we were um, before um, I think every, Alexander's new to the game so maybe we're going to get um, we'll get Tom to it to maybe start Tom can you give Chandra your uh, spring moving into summer Sunday wine uh, yeah briefing uh, and and what you'd like to see in the bottle and taste of course as well well, even though, obviously, being a proud Englishman, you know, I still, even in the hot summer months, Tyler, I like to have, you know, the full roast luncheon. Um, but I like a little bit of flexibility wine-wise. So I like, um, you know, a dry white that's robust enough to carry not just the roast chicken, which it can probably do, but all of the trimmings as well. Um, but maybe sustain me on through an extended afternoon of lounging around in the sun. So I need a bit of refreshment, but it's got to have enough kind of heft to see that luncheon off. Anything, Chandra, that could uh, marry up with that description? I think we find something. Okay, so Tom, I, I, I don't know if we're talking about today, if you're talking about a lunch <laughs> next week. Uh, you said chicken. Uh, I'm just helping sort of Chandra to shape this. You know, are, are we going to be in a in uh, a foul world uh, or, are we, or are we going to uh, are we going to be uh, in the land of lamb or beef? Um, well, I see. I sense that. Are you disapproving of my my choice Absolutely. of chicken? Listen, I would never say no to roast chicken <laughs> ever. So, let's go. Uh, let's go with roast chicken. Okay, Chandra, does that help? Oh, it's one of my favorite dishes. Roast oh, there chicken. we go. Okay, good. So Chandra will come back with that. Okay, Alexander. So yeah, 
cook up a scenario for us and uh, Chandra will, uh, of course, uh, well, she might even deliver the goods. She'll deliver them on air. I'm not sure if maybe DHL can bring them around to your apartment. But I like this game. <laughs> it's a good game. <laughs> it's a good game. Um, so I'm originally from Florida. So when the weather starts uh, becoming quite summery, I like the citrus fruits, the seafood, and also kind of like Tom, you know, a, an afternoon that kind of transitions into into an evening so lots of lime, lots of mango, exotic flavors, um, and tend to gravitate towards, yeah, a nice maybe, a nice rosé that can complement but not cut through the bitterness. Um, yeah, perhaps you have something for, for a Floridian in, in this, Zurich. It sounds very <laughs> colorful, exotic, and refreshing. We will find something. Fantastic. Okay, Chandra, I'm going to play along uh, today as well. So just back from Japan, so you can uh, imagine there were you know, a number of um, very good wines um, consumed, uh, lots of good koshu, uh, yamanashi flavors, and, and also uh, from from elsewhere uh, as well, some some very, very nice Chardonnays from up in and around Nagano. So that, there's been a week of that, and I'm, I'm not complaining. I'm just giving you a little bit of background as to where I've been. Um, but uh, over the coming days will be entertaining. Terrace is very uh, bountiful uh, and uh, looking sort of very fluffy and green. Uh, so I'm thinking that um, it might be sort of yeah, maybe kind of, again, uh, not sort of extended after a big lunch, but something more of an after work moment. Uh, so if I wanted to put one or two things on ice, I think we are definitely in a in a, in a chilled world. Um, so I sort of feel like we're, we are heading towards that rosé tasting on air, uh, probably at, at some point. But uh, is that is that enough to work with? Yeah, let me think about it. This is a little bit more complicated, but let me think. Okay, good. Um, Tom, is our is our colleague Carlotta? Is she is she uh, still uh, near a microphone, or is uh, have, have you <laughs> has she scampered off to a to a Portuguese bakery for you as you're <laughs> doing this Sunday gig? Tyler, I would never I would never send Carlotta out to the bakery. Um, although I, the, Pastel Donata has been rumored to be appearing. She's here, and I'm sure she'd like, to play right the, she'd like to play the game. Excellent. Okay, so Carlotta, uh, yeah, I, jo- join in because we, we sort of need some type of spin from, I, I was just going to say the Iberian Peninsula, but of course, uh, many of our listeners will know that uh, you're from a bit further out in the in the Atlantic. Yes, um, closer to Morocco than necessarily the <laughs> Iberian Peninsula from Madeira Island. So my brief would be, um, I'm not going to go for a full meal. I'm like a bit of cheese, a charcuterie board, outside in the sun, sitting uh, ideally by a swimming pool. Um, what, uh, uh, recently I've been in the mood um, for rosé or even orange wine. So is there mm. something along that region that could help me uh, sustain uh, this uh, hard <laughs> and difficult uh, scenario that I'm trying to, <laughs> to picture for you, Chandra? <laughs> We will find something. I think the most important is that the wines stay chilled in, this, in these moments, but I will find. Do not Maybe worry. There will be a parasol yeah. in hand for the wine. Good. Excellent. Uh, just uh, before we head back to London uh, for the news, uh, maybe Alexander, anything else uh, that uh, you've seen in your lineup of, uh, of of stories? Do you want to bring it back a little bit closer to Europe, maybe? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. The the Spectator actually has a, a story today. The headline is "Stop Calling Putin," um, which which made me giggle a little bit. And um, it's a it's a piece regarding uh, the kind of flurry of diplomatic phone calls that Macron has resumed with Putin, um, calling him earlier earlier this month. 
month, and then now this week he hasn't had the the best week ever. To to put it mildly, he's uh, you know suggested that EU leaders stop humiliating Putin earlier, or on Friday, I believe it was. He he suggested to Zelensky that you know perhaps Ukraine consider making some concessions to help Putin save face. Um, and of course, not surprisingly, he's getting a lot of pushback um, on that, with some scratching their heads and starting to wonder um, what he's what he's actually up to. And it's interesting when you start digging into and going into a little bit of Macron's uh, kind of background and, and influence. Um, you know, he has this uh, a, a vision for for Europe that kind of goes back to to the 94 in 1994. There was a, a proposal put forward um, by two members of the German Christian Democrats, um, Schaubel and, and Lammers, which also kind of put forward a vision of, of uh, let's say, kind of new Europe, which is a phrase that, that Macron uses every now and then. Um, this idea of kind of the core, uh, core, a core Europe with countries around the periphery. But also there they made very clear that, you know, it should be forged with, not against in any way, Russia. Um, and that agreement there, or that proposal rather, was was put on ice. But if you go through Macron's speeches, including some that he gave earlier this year, it's a topic that he constantly brings up over and over and over again. Even in a 2017 speech that he gave, he actually, in, in Germany, I believe it was, he apologized to the audience for that France at the time in 94 didn't kind of pick up and onboard that idea. So it's interesting now to kind of start putting the pieces together um, with kind of his politicking here with with Putin um, and to kind of contextualize uh, that a little bit. So the, the spectator piece, Stop Calling Putin, made me uh, giggle a little bit um, in, in that regard. So it'll be interesting to see also how, um, you know, how other EU leaders react or, or don't. Um, and that might be why France also didn't get that many votes at the Eurovision yesterday. Could be, and we'll have much more on that a little bit later. Uh, heading back to London now, bottom of the hour, Tom Edwards is there with the news headlines. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. And we've got a bit of yeah, a diplomatic dance as the main story. Also one I'm sure you're going to be touching upon when you speak with Monocle's Helsinki correspondent shortly, because foreign ministers from Finland, Sweden and Turkey have been holding talks in Berlin to resolve disagreements over the Nordics' plans to join NATO. Finland and Sweden are gearing up, of course, to apply for membership of the transatlantic alliance in response to Russia's war in Ukraine, which they see as having fundamentally altered the security situation in the region. Turkey, well, they maybe don't see it quite the same way. Uh, Ten people have died in a shooting in a black neighbourhood in the city of Buffalo in upstate New York in the US. Authorities are investigating the crime as racially motivated violent extremism. Tyler, a story where you are Switzerland's Lex Netflix referendum taking place today. Should streamers be obliged to invest up to 4% of their revenues to help local Swiss film and TV production? And finally, Carlotta... Yes, Tom. Finally, Ukraine's Kalush Orchestra have won this year's Eurovision Song Contest in a symbolic show of public support following the country's invasion by Russia. The rap folk, ba- folk band soared to first place with 631 points, most of which arrived via the public vote. Sam Ryder came second for the UK, the country's best result since 1998, and Spain came in third with slow-mo. Uh, those are the day's headlines. I'm surprised, Carlotta, you didn't add that Portugal did indeed secure a notable top 10 finish. Well, it will be higher in the running order of news headlines, (laughs) of course. Uh, But I have a fun fact, maybe for you, Tyler, about uh, uh, Spain's entry. Uh, Do you know who the song was originally written for? Uh, Well, I I do because I pay attention to these things. (laughs) Unlike our head of radio, Tom Edwards, uh, if I guessed uh, J-Lo, would I I get a point? Absolutely. You'll get 12 points for that one, Tyler. (laughs) 12 points for the Swiss. Absolutely. 
you can definitely see that with JLo, but I'm very happy for Spain's Hanel instead. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. And on that, we will be heading uh, to uh, Turin very shortly. Uh, also, though, as uh, Tom mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, as we said at the top of the program, uh, worthwhile uh, maybe heading up uh, to Helsinki right now. Uh, our correspondent, Petri Burstop, is there, of course, uh, because there has been uh, a lot of diplomatic chatter uh, between Stockholm, Helsinki, and also Ankara. Uh, and of course, this all has to do with uh, Finland and, of course, uh, Sweden's uh, potential and, and I think now confirmed, at least on Finland's part, uh, entry uh, into uh, or desire to enter uh, NATO. Uh, Petra, can you bring us uh, up to speed on that? Yes, good morning, uh, Tyler. Um, so the latest is that the Finnish government is set to announce its NATO bid um, actually this afternoon in about one and a half hours. Um, the um, Prime Minister and the President will uh, officially announce that Finland will apply. Um, this will be followed by a parliamentary debate in the Finnish Parliament tomorrow, uh, with the vote expected on, on Tuesday. But with all the major parties essentially in favor of joining NATO, um, you know, the vote is expected to pass with clear, almost unanimous numbers. Um, another noteworthy piece of news is that yesterday the Finnish president uh, Sauli Niinistö spoke on the phone with, with the Russian president Vladimir Putin, sort of spilling the beans really and announcing that Finland will apply for NATO membership and, and explaining to Putin that you know Finland is joining a defense alliance um, that should not be construed as a threat by Russia and, and Putin replying to Niinistö that you know uh, Finland should remain neutral, uh, it's not facing any threats um, and abandoning this neutrality stance, according to Putin, is, is a mistake uh, from Finland. Petri, just tell us, uh, Finland has, has, of course, long played a very uh, good, um, yeah, you, you'd say sort of a well-choreographed um, series of dance moves, uh, given its position, uh, the border, of course, uh, it shares uh, with Russia. Um, but this, this dance that it's done has also, you know, it's not just been a political one. Of course, it has been, um, I would say, a very deft economic one um, as, as well. Do you think... Those in the Finnish foreign ministry, um, in Finland's leadership, uh, and of course, I can only imagine that the at the embassy in Moscow, are they going to be able to continue uh, to to deliver the right moves uh, to smooth things over? And and is there any sort of sense in the Finnish media in terms of, yeah, what concessions might have to be made? And I'm thinking probably more in an economic context. Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. I think we'll, we're going to have to see in the long run how things settle after Finland's joining of NATO. What we what we're seeing right now is essentially all Finnish businesses leaving, leaving and abandoning Russia. There was an interesting piece in in today's Hufvudstadsblad uh, at the main Swedish speaking uh, newspaper, um, essentially sort of going through all the all the major investments um, and factories that Finland had in in Russia and looking at who took took over them. So there was, for example, a Paulig, a Finnish uh, coffee roasters, whose, whose large-scale roastery in, in Russia, close to St. Petersburg, I believe, was taken over by, by an Indian businessman and lots of similar stories. So, you know, in, in the short term, it, it does not look good. But, um, I mean, 
the business community hopes that in in the long run, when things settle settle down, they would be they will they hope they would be able to con- continue this business relationship because obviously the the Russian market is extremely important to Finland, one of our major trading partners, um, and and Saint Petersburg, uh, especially as a city of five million people, just you know a few hours from Finland, it has been a major um, source of, of both tourism revenue, but also also um, a lot of Finnish investments has has gone there. And Petri, uh, just uh, before we uh, head off to speak to Fernando in uh, Torino, how um, how's everyone feeling in Finland uh, off the back of uh, your Eurovision uh, performance last night? Well, <laughs> everybody was, of course, hoping that Finland would uh, win. You know, we still remember the magnificent Lordi performance. Uh, Say, what, when was it 15 years ago with Hard Rock Hallelujah who won the Eurovision and ever since you know uh, Finland's been hoping that we win every year but I, I, I actually I truly believe that this year Finland thought they would finish close to the top with uh, the Rasmus uh, who of course had lots of uh, major hits in, in, in Europe in the sort of 90s and early noughties but I don't think anybody is disappointed with Ukraine's win, win to be honest so in, in good mood Excellent. Uh, Petri Burstoff, uh, our man in Helsinki. Uh, very good to talk to you. You're uh, listening to Monocle on Sunday. It's just gone at 10.37 here in Zurich. We're going away for a short break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to our man in Hong Kong, James Chambers. Stay with us. Heston's has, for more than 170 years, been facilitating a good night's rest, a quality that's prioritised by Heston's fifth-generation CEO, Jan Ride. He knows that sleep is key to finding balance and restoring our physical body. We are not human doings. We are human beings. We can have business goals or professional goals, but we need to make sure that we have that balance. For that, I mean, take care of our emotional well-being, take care of our health, take care of our spiritual well-being, because if we are going to be able to achieve higher levels of creations or abundance, it's so important that we are humble enough to understand we are spiritual beings in a physical body. Head to Heston's.com now to learn more about how a good night's rest helps the company's CEO Jan Ride and the world's creative and business leaders too. Heston's, be awake for the first time in your life. You're back with Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. We're live uh, in Zurich. We're also heading uh, live over to Hong Kong right now. Uh, our James Chambers uh, is there with the latest. Uh, good afternoon, James. Good morning, Tyler. All well your all well your way. Very well. Well, you know, it's nice to chat on the radio. It's a shame we couldn't host you uh, in Hong Kong on your recent Asia trip, but. Uh, Hey-ho, perhaps next Yeah, hey-ho. Well, listen, it was, it was a Japan trip. It, was, it wasn't an Asia trip, so don't <laughs> feel left out. It wasn't like I, I, I'd skipped down to Bangkok or I, or I went to, to Singapore or elsewhere. It was a, it was a reasonably quick uh, in, in and out. Um, but it's interesting, James, a lot of conversation, uh, of course, uh, in, in Tokyo. And everyone, I think, you know, really wanting to see, of course, you know, Hong Kong, um, it's come back. What's happening? What does it mean off the back of a week where, of course, we've heard Beijing say that they're you know, really going to also be limiting 
the, the number of Chinese uh, that can leave the country. I think I found a lot of people sort of scratching their heads thinking, well, what's that going to mean for Hong Kong um, as, as well? But this real sort of sense, I would say, on, on the part of the, the Japanese business community, of course, many vested interests uh, in Hong Kong where you are to just see a revival because I think there's that feeling as, you know, as, as Tokyo and as Japan, you know, moves to reopening properly, everyone wants to, to see the same happen for, for Hong Kong as well. Yeah, it's a, it's, um, you know, it's a bit difficult to tell uh, what's going on in this, in this part of the world. Uh, but I think uh, I might report some positive uh, news from Hong Kong. There's a feeling here that uh, we might actually be going uh, separate ways from the mainland. I mean, no, the government would never come out and say it. Uh, they would never come out and say they're changing the, the zero COVID policy or, or splitting from the mainland. But it very much feels like on the ground that, you know, we're not trying to eliminate every single case. Um, and, you know, the way that the, some people are talking, uh, this whole idea of living with the virus is something that's now more acceptable to people because you know most people in Hong Kong have, have either been vaccinated or have actually caught COVID and that's not obviously the same uh, as the mainland. Uh, so I think there has been uh, some kind of realization that you know Hong Kong is really on its knees, international businesses are really leaving um, and if um, it wants to save its reputation as this international hub it has to change now. Um, and I think fortunately it comes at the time when you know that they're changing or we are changing uh, leaders the, the chief executive the new one's going to start on July the 1st and there's a there's an optimism uh, funnily enough I, I was uh, surprised to hear it when I speak to Hong Kongers in all kinds of industries that um, the new guy John Lee will actually have some good news for Hong Kong um, I think partly everyone's just glad it's it, that uh, Carrie Lam is is on the way out um, and it's, they're probably pinning everything on her. Uh, but there is, a, there is a sense that uh, things are going to perhaps uh, change and perhaps John Lee will have a, a gift for Hong Kong when he takes over. I think that might be slightly optimistic, but I, I do feel it myself. That there is a, a sense of something is changing here and we might be going a slightly different way. James, just tell me, is, uh, could it be that because this, you know, Hong Kong is a special administrative region, um, do you think Beijing might be thinking, and this, of course, is just pure speculation, and maybe it's a little bit fantasy, but there is an opportunity within all of this, um, and, and certainly maybe face-saving uh, as well for, for Xi Jinping, in that this can be a bit of a release valve. Uh, they can use Hong Kong as a little bit of a, of a guinea pig um, experiment. Doesn't really, you know, literally blow back uh, on the mainland. This is something we can do uh, with Hong Kong. But also, most importantly, as you said, I mean, to use this for, of course, you know, one of the, the key things, why is Hong Kong there uh, for, for economic reasons uh, to really, you know, to, to be this open window on, on the world um, while still containing things in a way. You're exactly right, Tyler. That's what my, my thinking is as well. And a lot of people here, um, I mean, that's what Hong Kong's reason for being has always been. Um, and there was a lot of talk about how, you know, there's no, no point for Hong Kong anymore because China was opening up. Well, that never happened. And it's actually going, you know, the opposite way. It's becoming, you know, the type of isolationism we had uh, in the Mao era almost. So I think, you know, there's a, there's a renewed, uh, you know, reason for being for Hong Kong. Um, and I do think, I do think you're, you're right. I think the, the mainland realizes that they do need Hong Kong to act as that kind of window on the world and, and east meets west kind of 
bridge, and it's it needs Hong Kong to be this international business hub. It needs uh, you know the, the kind of free movement of everything you know from uh, from people uh, to to capital investment. Because as you mentioned earlier, I mean chi- China's stopping. Chinese people from from leaving now, and it's not even you know Chinese people that are having a hard time. It's even foreigners. The types of stories that we're hearing down here about the experiences people have just trying to get out. You know, we've heard foreigners going to the airport and being forced to re- buy a return ticket, which is which seems absurd. And this will have you know this will have for everyone else who lives in China. This will be their, their, their kind of worst fears that actually you know perhaps we have been living in this authoritar- authoritarian uh, country all along, and now it's coming you know it's coming home. Um, and I think uh, you know there is we, we all have to read the tea leaves here. But there was a story uh, you know uh, the last few days about um, you know China cancelling uh, the Asian Cup, which is a sporting competition. It's the the kind of Asian equivalent of the of the Euros. So it's the the biggest football tournament here for international uh, football outside of the World Cup. And now instead of just suspending it, which they have done with a number of sporting events this year, they've decided just to give it away. And this was meant to happen next summer in 2023. Um, so that should be a clear indication of where China thinks it will be, you know, this time next year. Um, and then it, uh, you know, it goes back to that date that was, you know, being kind of passed around at the start of this year that, you know, China might be closed off until 2024. So um, I think, you know, to, to, for, to let Hong Kong go its own way and to open up to the world would be uh, the most realistic and rational um, uh, option. But, uh, you know, that's, that's never, not always the one that the, the CCP in Beijing decide to take. Mm. There was a little bit of good news uh, from the the world of uh, Swire, of course, the holding company, uh, or the principal uh, shareholder, of course, for Cathay Pacific. Uh, And as we know, this is an airline. You don't see very many Cathay Pacific tails uh, when you're landing at airports uh, like you used to. Uh, But uh, what uh, what happened there with their with at their AGM? Yeah, so they had their AGM uh, a few days ago last week. Um, and it's you know the the chairman Patrick Healy did have some you know some positive numbers to report. You know they won't be burning through you know about 64 million uh, U.S. dollars every month. It'll it'll be uh, sorry it won't be over 100 million U.S. dollars. It'll be about half of that. Uh, so that's that's a positive thing. And they are flying more passengers and and cargo uh, around the world. It's you know it's way down on what it was uh, in 2019. But you know, compared to the last two years, you know these numbers are going up, and you can see it uh, in the city. You hear about it. Everybody's now trying uh, to book flights if it's only to to get back and finally um, see family. So you know, Cathay is uh, you know getting reporting higher revenues, um, and at the moment they don't really have uh, much competition because the likes of you know British Airways, Qantas, uh, Virgin are still not flying uh, to Hong Kong. But um, uh, Mr. Healy, the chairman, did have a, a bit of a word of, of warning for, for Hong Kong and, and the government um, because he said, you know, we're, we're still at risk uh, of lo- losing the, the title of, you know, one of Asia's top aviation hubs. And, and you know, the... the oh, it sounds like we lost our, our James Chambers uh, there in uh, Hong Kong. He wasn't being too negative about China, but hopefully uh, the censors uh, didn't, didn't, didn't cut cut the line off and uh, he doesn't have a bag over his head and is being uh, hustled away. Our James Chambers uh, in in Hong Kong there. Uh, Chandra, I just wanted to bring you in. If you sort of think back over the last decade, there was so much excitement uh, around, uh, of course, the Chinese wine collectors. And also we've seen a lot of big groups opening up 
in China. You know, we've, we've seen sort of vast tracts of land, thousands and thousands of hectares being cleared uh, because China was going to be the next great wine producer. Is, is there still that sense as well and excitement uh, when you when you're of course are talking to yeah some of the big groups and even some of the smaller players who I'm sure were probably advising and, and working with, uh, with 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 potential Chinese producers well absolutely and it's it's wonderful that you mentioned this because we tomorrow we go to print with our next issue and one of the main topics is about China and and as they planted a lot of course there are a lot of new wineries but one of the major topic right now is that them that the Western even they, they copy what we do, but we don't have the right language for them to understand what we do, what, what the wine industry is. So they develop right now not only wineries and new wine styles and everything, but also a new wine language and a new way of communicating and, and, and speaking about wine. And I think this is very interesting. And we are really, we can call it, it's the Chinese wine renaissance. Uh, you know, China had wines already 10,000 years ago almost. And, but but it, it, they have a different way also to enjoying wine. Um, but now it's really waking up on a, on, on a level that we will see a lot about it. And it's really very interesting. On the topic of waking up, uh, I think it's time to knock on the door. Uh, in uh, Torino, uh, our Fernando Augusto Pacheco uh, is there. Uh, he was, of course, uh, there for us in the run-up uh, to Eurovision. Uh, now this is the morning uh, after the night uh, before. Good morning, uh, bom dia. Uh, nice to hear from you, Fernando. Bom dia and buongiorno, Tyler. From very sunny cheering, I think I had one of the best weather for all the Eurovisions I've attended, I have to say. Excellent. Well, listen, uh, just in the same way that we lost uh, the uh, the line to Hong Kong right now, it was a bit unprecedented watching uh, Eurovision uh, last night. Of course, we you know we love when we, when we uh, of course, can watch them uh, crossing to all of the major uh, European capitals, or at least all of the capitals uh, of European Broadcasting Union members. Uh, and uh, we saw three lines drop yesterday. So it begs the question, did, did Rai do a a good job uh, in terms of uh, production, or were this just some, uh, yeah, maybe just some some haphazard uh, technical glitches uh, that they weren't able to connect to certain cities. I got to be honest, Tyler. I did notice that. I saw that Martin Osterlund, his face, he had a face of fear in a way. But I think besides those. Uh, technical glitches. I think I did a good job. Uh, at Palo Olympico is also a beautiful stadium. I mean, it's incredibly tech. I can see why they've hosted the 2006 uh, Winter Olympics there as well. So I think overall, it was and it was nice as well being here in Italy with the Rai comment. It, it, it's kind of a, a different look from what I'm used to or, or people are used to at the BBC or Grey and Orton. It's nice to see kind of other uh, insights as well in that sense. So maybe just give us a, a quick recap going into this. Uh, of course, uh, Fernando, you were you were calling um, some of them, and as you know, as uh, you know, certainly it's been interesting that the the vote, of course, has changed. We have, of course, a, a jury vote from countries now uh, with a, a series of quote unquote experts, and then you also have the public vote um, as well, which completely and and as well as it did in many ways, uh, it, it upended uh, you know a variety uh, of different artists and some rather cringy moments last night. I would say for Switzerland uh, and and also for Australia as as well. Um, you know, normally it has been, and it wasn't great for Germany either, not quite null point, but null point for the, from the public uh, for Switzerland, for example. That was actually one of the cringiest moments of the night because, to be honest, I think getting null point from the public is even worse in a way. So I kind of, I almost felt sorry for uh, Marius Baer. But I mean, the thing is, Tyler, it is a tough competition and... You know, I feel the public, they need to see fun. I see, not always, because if you're going for a ballad, for a song, 
I am what I am kind of vibes, you know, it needs to be extremely good. Uh, and because the public, they like, I think they like kind of uh, something that is good for the dance floor, something that is a little bit different. And this year, of course, I, I was calling that Ukraine was going to win from the beginning. I think it was uh, pretty obvious. They had, even the bookies were saying that they had 60% of chance to winning. So that wasn't a really a surprise. It was interesting to see more who was second place, third place. And in fact, Tyler, there's one thing about the third place, Spain, which I have a feeling I might like it as well. Uh, Chanel, at the beginning, when she won, uh, you know, the, the song competition in Spain to be the entry for, uh, for Spain, it caused a lot of controversy. The Spanish were not big fans. You know, they were like, how come we chose Chanel anyway? But she, she's such a hard worker. You know, I saw some of the rehearsals. She improved the choreography. And in the end, it became a little bit of a fan favorite. So that's also nice about Eurovision to see this kind of trajectories, you know, when someone starts a bit kind of people making fun of her and then in the end we're like, wow, Chanel could have been a winner in, in a way, right? It was also maybe a bit of a reaction because we've had almost maybe three or four years of, as you said, this kind of am what I am, respect to uh, I might be a little bit over politicized. Uh, I don't have to make an effort to go on stage. I'll just, you know, uh, let it all hang loose uh, and and hopefully just my, my voice will carry me. But I don't think that worked in the case of, of Armenia. Didn't I mean, even though there was, uh, you know, a rather flouncy outfit on the part of Australia. Again, this this sense of make me feel good don't bring me down uh and and I, do you think that we've that that's, we're a bit of an end of an era because you could also say that israel israel had quite a poppy song but the israeli song um at the same time was a little bit preachy as well and and almost a little bit patronizing in the sense that let's just try to tick every possible uh box possible um and and you almost end up sort of speaking or singing down to the audience very much so, and I agree with you. I mean, the Israeli track had everything for me to become a fan, you know, the dance beats, you know, when the beat drops, you know, I, I'm such an easy person. I'm like, I'll vote for you. But I, I actually don't think the performance was actually very good. But my main problem, I don't know if you remember the second uh, semifinal, I think the pres the hosts were there trying to do their job. And then he was kind of at the back, kind of annoying them a little bit. I was like, oh my God, that's actually not a very good attitude in a way uh, for him. So I think after I saw that, I was like, like mm, that's not going through, and 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 it didn't. And I think you are you are right, or you know you're right, Tyler. You know I think the public, I mean they don't care. You can still have a very strong message, but it, it needs to be good. It needs to be kind of well delivered. It needs to be original. And in that way, if I may say, I will defend Ukraine because of course all this massive televoting was a little bit of sympathy vote. But I generally think it's an original track. You know, like it or not. It is a little bit different. He played around with this Ukrainian folklore, added some kind of modern hip hop beats. I, I think it's a good song. I think it could have been a contender, even if there was no uh, war uh, in Ukraine as well. And just for now, before we go, because we've got to, of course, get to also uh, the, our wine, uh, our wine concluding remarks for the end of the show. Uh, it, it almost sort of set the deadline uh, for this conflict to, to be resolved. Not that you have to do it again to a beat, but you know, I would imagine that, of course, uh, this means you know Ukraine has won. They'll they'll host it next year. I bet you they're not going to want to host it in Lviv. They're going to want to host it in Kiev. Uh, any sense or discussion about that? I mean, and this will be a big mobilizing you know moment also for the e, you know for the European Broadcasting Union to make this happen now. 
Absolutely. We'll be hearing the stories for the whole year, to be honest, uh, Tyler. You know, even uh, President Zelensky said, you know, he wants to host the event in Ukraine. But to be honest, it's very difficult to say if it's possible or not. I was reading this morning that some broadcasters are already offering, uh, you know, that they can host. Uh, I think uh, the Spanish broadcaster said that they could do that already. I'm sure uh, perhaps the BBC in the UK, I, I'm sure Germany, I'm sure the kind of the big five countries, they will uh, do this offer. But of course, I think everybody wants this to be in Ukraine. But, you know, it, it's impossible to predict now. But I, I, I do hope. I do hope Ukraine will be able to uh, host next year. And I'll be there for sure. Hopefully Very good. For us. Fernando Augusto-Pacheco, uh, of course, uh, our dedicated uh, Eurovision correspondent uh, when uh, when the time calls uh, with us uh, live uh, in Torino this morning. Thanks very much for that. Uh, just before we go, uh, we've got uh, three minutes. Uh, Chandra Kurt is here. Uh, of course, uh, if you're just joining us, uh, all of our guests today gave Chandra a series of, uh, of briefs uh, to, of course, come up with a series of wine suggestions today. Tom Edwards over in London chicken roast lunch that lingers on, correct? <laughs> Absolutely. It's the only way for a chicken roast lunch uh, to behave is to linger. Um, and yeah, it was. I thought it was a tricky challenge because it's got to then sustain me through the afternoon. But I know Chandra and I know she will have uh, stepped up to the plate. Okay, we could go for a Chardonnay, but this will be a little bit boring. I'm just back from Germany. Riesling. Riesling has a lot of energy, mm. has a lot of vibrancy and there's a wonderful winery from the Pfalz. It's called Ökonomierat Rebholz and the wine is the Did Biengarten. Did you jot that down, Tom? Did you get that? Biengarten. Oh, I'm writing it. It's a juicy, refreshing, high-class Riesling. It will keep you till the evening. Oh, refreshing and high class. Tyler, these are words that are always associated with me, are they not? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we'll come back to Carlotta in a moment. Alexandra, remind us. So the, the girl from Florida likes something citrusy, a little bit exotic, right? A little bit exotic, uh, citrusy, uh, seafood flavors. The, also that the afternoon that, that lingers on like, like Tom's chicken dinner. So I have the right wine that just was launched from the De Frères, the two nice brothers from Zurich that do the gin. They have a new rosé. It's called L'été avec les deux frères. It's a rosé de Provence and it it will match very well with your citrusy and refreshing and seafood uh, afternoon. Very good. So this is the gin guys from here. Yeah. Then they're doing something in, in Provence. So it's not yeah. a Swiss Swiss no, guys, but French French vineyard. Zurich guys, French uh, rosé. Very good. Carlotta, uh, something uh, I believe uh, which well, remind me, I forgot now. Uh, something to go not with a necessarily with a full lunch or dinner, just with some cheese and some uh, charcuterie board by the pool uh, when I'm on holiday in a couple of weeks. <laughs> exactly, and there you, I, I will go for the orange wine, and there's a wonderful wine from Elisabeth, Elisabetta Foredori from North Italy. It's called Fori Pista, means um, out of, of, of the way, and it's a Pinot Grigio orange vinified, and it's in Damphora, and it has a soft bouquet that will uh, make you in a tender mood. Oh, amazing. Well, it won't be Soft bouquets in tender moods. She's really nailing it, isn't she? <laughs> it's a perfect description. Uh, okay, Chandra, we're on my balcony. We're talking, yep. uh, of, of course, just, you know, uh, again, this maybe sort of post-work moment. Uh, what, what could it be? Yeah, first of all, we have to beam you back from Japan. And you had a lot of koshu. So I would say, of course, shasla is similar, but we don't go for shasla. We had a lot of shasla already. We'd bring you to the Ticino with a white Merlot. Uh, so you're also in the in the summery, almost Italy border mood, but you're still in Switzerland from Guido Brivio, Bianco Rovere. This will go well. Perfect. That's all the time we have for today's show. Uh, Alexander Trizio, Chandra Kurt, Tom Edwards and Carlotta Rebella, both in London. Also, Petri Burstov in Helsinki, James Chambers in Hong Kong and Fernando Gastropacheco in Torino. Our producers today, Desiree Bentley and, of course, Carlotta Rebello, our studio manager, Nora Hull, over in London. I am Tyler Berlay. Monocle on Sunday's back next week. Goodbye.